what since the second half really how much they've really struggled charged with finding some stability from this scrum and he can't find it that's a mighty shot a mighty Mark Lester the scrum battle resumes now and a big shot from Brazil oh that's sensational How we've tended to run it down at Hills and now we continue to run it is you kind of have first and second grade work together a lot. Um, so the challenging part was actually when you were running activities, parts of the session, and you're incorporating first grade players and you're a, you're a coach who is, as a player, never quite as good as those guys. And then all of a sudden, and they know that because they've seen you and then all of a sudden you're coaching them um, in kind of what you know, techniques, what to do, that sort of thing. And that, that was quite challenging and it took a bit of time to break down um, that wall, I guess, a little bit with some of the guys. And, um, you yeah, usually it's just a bit of showing that you know what you're talking about. Welcome back to the next episode of The Journey of a Grassroots Rugby Coach. And today, my guest is Reese Thompson. Reese coaches at Hills Rugby Club in Division 2 of the Sydney Sub-Districts Competition. He's been the head coach there since 2019. During our chat, we spoke about going straight from being a player to coaching at the same club. We spoke about focusing on the process and not the outcome and actually realising how much control we don't have over our players on the field. So how do we make them better decision makers? We also spoke about during training, players want to compete. So let's let them compete. That's how they that's how they learn. That's how the less experienced guys learn as well. There was a storm in the area during our chat and uh, the video drops out and come back in. Um, I have tried to edit that as best I can. So, yeah, there's a little glitch in it at about 35 minutes into the chat. I really enjoyed chat talking to Reese, and I hope you do too. As always, if you like the pod, give us a thumbs up, give us a rating. That's how the algorithm works so we can get more listeners. Feel free to pass this on to any coach or player or anybody that you think can benefit from anything that we've spoken about in this chat. Uh, I hope you enjoyed listening to Reese as much as I enjoyed chatting to him. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my chat with Reese Thompson. This episode of The Journey of a Grassroots Rugby Coach is brought to you by Bull and Bear Crew. Bull and Bear Crew is a range of men's skincare products. There is face moisturizers, face mist, body wash, beard wash, shave oil and moisturizer they come in a 100 ml pack aluminium bottles so they're safe for traveling you can use them check-in your baggage uh, they also come in larger at home bottles all bottles are refillable reusable and recyclable you can buy refill pouches to refill bottles you have at home if you don't want to purchase bottles from bull and bear crew um, they've just been released a great product um, all natural, uh, all vegan, tested on men, not on animals, um, all that good stuff. Recyclable, reusable, and refillable. So you can use them over and over and over again. Go to their website, check them out, www.bullandbearcrew.com. Uh, place your order. At the moment, they're only shipping within Australia, um, but keep your ears and your eyes out to the website and uh, they may be able to extend the shipping at some point in the future. Um, please enjoy this episode.
Let's make a start, mate. Um, like I said, we'll just go where it takes us and, and we'll go from there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, Reese. so thanks for joining me. Um, just for the people that might not know who you are, um, first of all, who are you? Whereabouts are you located? And what's your involvement in grassroots sport or grassroots rugby? Sure. So I'm, um, my name's Reese Thompson. Um, so I'm based in Sydney up in the, the, up in the Hills District. Uh, so in terms of involvement in grassroots coaching for the last eight years, I've been coaching down at Hills Rugby Club in um, Subbies Rugby in, in New South Wales in Sydney. Um, so that's that's really adult community level rugby. Um, so it's a club with four grades and an under 21 cult side. Um, yeah. Ooh, awesome, man. Um, so that's a pretty good standard. Um some for some of the listeners that um, might not be aware, it's sort of a, a decent standard of, of rugby that gets that's in, in that um, division. So I think you get a broad range of guys across the grade. So you get, um, you know, you guys playing first grade who um, want to get as much out of it as they can and they're limited yeah. time. They're, they're quite often they're guys who could probably play at the higher levels that just don't have the time, like you've got work and, and things like that. And then you've got the guys who play, you know, fourth grade, which is sort of um, more ad hoc and um, it's it's more of like a runaround. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of, like for us, that would be our third grade. Um, our third grade team's very much that train once a week and see who turns up on Saturday. So, <laughs> Yeah. And that, mate, if that's how guys want to play, that's fine. You know, at least they're, at least they're still playing the game. So. Yeah, absolutely. I think you've got a responsibility. If guys want to play, you've got a responsibility to find them the opportunity to play. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I don't know, uh, a lot of a lot of the guys down here that play third grade are all they're all ex first graders anyway. They're just older and slower and got different commitments on at the moment that they, they can no longer play first grade. So um, you get a bit of a mix, like our yeah. Guys. Some of them have never played before. They just turn up and they want to, you know, their late twenties, early thirties, and they want to have a have a run around before it's too late. Yep. So nice. you get that. You get it. You get the guys, like you say, who are kind of ex first graders who um, kind of want to want to keep it going at some kind of level as long as they can. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. That's mm-hmm. uh, really good. Cool. Cool. Um, all right, mate. So how? Because you said you went straight from playing into coaching. Mm. Um, there's a few coaches that do that. There's some that, you know, that we've all taken different paths to get to like where we are. But what got you into coaching in the first place? Yeah, so I um, I stopped playing early 20s. Um, sort of took a break from the game completely. You know, kind of other, other aspects of life took over. And then late 20s, I was one of those guys who wanted to have a come back and have another couple of years crack at it before for kind of hanging him up completely. Yeah. Um, so that was late 20s into early 30s and didn't really have any visions of, of coaching until my last year. And then in my my last year, I was in the, the second grade team at the club I'm at now and kind of it was in a, a kind of senior player role in that team and that led to kind of more responsibility kind of as part of the, the training activities, pushing them along, keeping them going as a as a senior player and that kind of got me interested and yeah, then moved 
um, the next year into the kind of assistant coaching for the, the team I'd been playing in the year before. Yeah, right. How did you find that transition from being a player to sort of coaching in the same, with the same group of players that you'd previously played with? Because I know some some guys do it, think that it's quite easy to do and then others find it quite challenging um, to do with the same sort of group that you're with. I think um, I found it with the, the team I had been in, those guys, I found it quite easy because I had good relationships with them and they already saw kind of saw me in that senior player type of role. Um, how we've tended to run it down at Hills and now we continue to run it is you kind of have first and second grade work together a lot. Um, so the challenging part was actually when you were running activities, parts of the session, and you're incorporating first grade players, and you're a you're a coach who is, as a player, never quite as good as those guys. And then all of a sudden, and they know that because they've seen you, and then all of a sudden you're coaching them um, in kind of what you know, techniques, what to do, that sort of thing. And that that was quite challenging and it took a bit of time to break down um, that wall, I guess, a little bit with some of the guys. And, um, yeah, usually it's just a bit of showing that you know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, and that's a really good point, mate. Like you said, sometimes, sometimes the best coaches have never played at the level that they're coaching um, and it can be difficult to... Uh, initially get that buy-in from the player, especially if they know that you've never played at that level. So that's that's a good reflection, mate, because um, it's something that we hear a lot of in, in the coaching, um, the ranks where, you know, a lot of the good coaches at the moment at international level have never played international footy. Um, so that's, that's it's good just to know that as a coach that you can actually coach at a higher level than you've ever played because um, yeah. it's a different skill set. Um, just because you can't perform the task doesn't mean you can't coach it and analyse it and give instructions on it. And I think you reflect, as an ex-player, you reflect on it and you kind of go, I wish the stuff I know now, I wish I knew then as a player. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, and been able to apply it. Yeah, and, and I think, yeah, I look back now and go, mate, if I knew half the stuff I know now as, that I would have known as a player, yeah. And um, I think a lot of young young guys that get into coaching early and still play benefit from that greatly. Even if it's just coaching like a junior team, um, they just start to see the game a bit differently. So no, that, that's a good good reflection, mate. Um, so what's uh, a lesson that you've learned from your coaching experience? Because we've all had the negative coaching experience whatever that whatever that looks like um, and the, and the reason I ask is because as young coaches we have those you know letdowns or bad experiences and that's when a lot of people just go no nah, this is not for me and they throw the toys out of the cot and they walk away but the good coaches sort of go yeah that was pretty shit but what we actually learned from that was this this and this and it's actually made either you as a coach or the guys you're coaching better for that really bad experience? I think a couple of, a couple of the key areas I've kind of learned a lot about, um, yeah, you, I think you learn pretty quickly to focus on process rather than outcome. 
and, and you have to because I think um, the guys, because they're obviously physically invested in the game, will naturally be more outcome focused because they put so much effort effort into it. Whereas you have to be that okay, the result's the result, but how do I pull out the bits I need to pull out to make us better? Yep. Um, and, and try and transition the guys to that that mindset as well. Um, I think it's also um, through those sort of tough experiences, learning to accept how little control you sometimes have. You know, um, you know, you can put in all the what you think is the greatest preparation in the world into um, your season or a game. And for whatever reason, things don't play out that way. Um, and kind of learning to accept that sometimes that happens, no matter how good a job you, you do in preparation, um, kind of helps you be able to move on and, and makes you better in the long run. Yeah, and that's that's a really good point about that. That we don't have a lot of control on a game day. We have no control over what ha- what happens. Once they uh, once they cross that line and start playing, and and you know particularly at the the kind of adult community level, you know you have guys who have full lives outside of mm. outside of it. So you know you can, um, yeah, and a, lot, and a lot of the guys who who I coach directly in the kind of first and second grade team, they want to play at that level because a lot of them are tradies who work Saturday mornings, and so you know you might. Sometimes you might have a 3.15 kickoff and a guy gets stuck at work and he doesn't turn up till 3 o'clock. Yeah. So you put all your, your plans and your preparation to what the day looks like and then, you know, it's just those things you, you just can't do anything about and you've got to be adaptable. Yeah. No, that's that's a really good point, mate. And I can guarantee it's not just your club that that happens to. Um, you know, you get that phone call, you know, the bosses need me to do an extra hours overtime or, or, you know, stuck in traffic or the car's broken down or one of the kids is sick. And, yeah, you just got to be able to then think on your feet and be able to just adapt and and make do with um, and hope your prep work for everybody else is in place. Yeah, no, that's that, that's club footy. I think, and that's the joy of club footy as well, that sometimes you just got to go, oh, yeah, so-and-so, just rang me, can't make it today because, you know, whatever reason, you know. And sometimes it's not even, um, it could be, you know, there's a bloody traffic jam on on wherever they're coming from or, you know, the tra- especially down here in Melbourne, you know, the, the younger guys, it's like the, the trains are running late or the trains have been stopped and you just, yeah, it's um, n- nobody's fault. It's just life. Yeah, no, that, that's, a, that's a good lesson, mate. Um, so you said that, like, because it's that club, that club environment um, in the adult space that you've got, you know, you've got tradies and you've got people of all walks of life and you've got guys that are ex-first graders and guys that have never played before. So you've got this melting pot of people and skill levels. How do you keep your training, uh, so the environment at training, enjoyable so that you've got, you know the player that's potentially a second grade that's a second grader that wants to progress and push for first grade, or that first grader that's pushing for higher honours. But you've also got the guy that just turns up and wants to have a have a crack with his mates. 
Um, and we want to develop both players and keep both players in the game because that guy that he's only ever going to be a fourth grader, but he's probably going to be the club president or the major sponsor or the go-to guy at the club that hangs, he's the guy that's been there for 20 years and knows everybody and just gets stuff done. So we've got to keep them both in the game, but develop their skills at the same time without, um, you know, either boring the the good player or pushing the, the new player too hard that they just find it too hard and walk away. So I think you have to look at the core of what, at, at the level of this kind of subbies adult community rugby level, you have to look at the core of what people, what guys want, um, and they have, you know they have limited time. So when they're doing rugby stuff, they want to compete. Yep. Right. And so on that basis, um, I we have tried to make things as game focused as possible, input, trying to incorporate the skills. So you know we might we might do a lot of stuff on um, like drop off touch where. You know, every time you make a touch, defender drops out of the line, um, but you've still got to push all the, the skills and the kind of more tactical aspects of the game. If you're defending, you know, you're, um, you're pushing your communication, you're pushing the defenders on where they need to be next. You know, where, and then on the attack side, you know, you're pushing speed of play to get more defenders out of the line, those sorts of things. Um, so trying, trying to make it as as game folks and competition folks as we possibly can. Um, and then I think particularly with the less experienced guys, you've got to make it as educational as possible because often they don't, like they'll, they get, they might be able to execute something, but they don't know why it's important. So it's yeah. about, you know, educating about the, the larger context of the game about this part's important because it allows this, this, and this. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Which is how we we learn, like away from rugby as well. You know, just giving context around why we why we're doing this. So no, that that's that's good, mate. Um, so those games, um, and yeah, game game based training is becoming more and more popular in recent years. Um, I know what it was like when I was playing. There was no it was, you know, running against shadows and, you know, if you drop the ball, it was, you know, punishments and stuff like that, where now it's more around, um, you know, not that we encourage our players to make mistakes, but we want them to push themselves so they're right on that edge of, you know, what's our what's our acceptable failure rate in whatever the skill is because that's how they're going to, like you said, develop and learn. Um, and, yeah, I think it's good that, like you mentioned there, the new players giving them the context around why why we're doing this and where it fits into the bigger picture, um, just to give them some clarity around that, um, why they need to improve that skill. Uh, that, that's good, mate. Um, so with your, because you've got the four grades there mm. oh, and, and your under-21s, do you have them all training together do they they set are they separate um and now like that 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 last bit around when you got those mixed skill levels that i think that's a problem well not a problem but it's an it's something that coaches find really hard at the community level because 
you know, you've got that. And for some, you know, I've, I've been at some clubs where there's one team and you're the only coach and you've got such a huge skill level gap that you're trying to get everything together. Um, but then when you've got four teams, uh, what does that look like? Do you break them up or? So how, I mean, how we've, we've typically tried to do it is yep. um, we'll kind of keep first grade, second grade cults together as a group training-wise and keep third and fourth grade together as a group, group training-wise. And that kind of fits with how our days run. So on our, our game days, we run fours, threes, cults, twos, ones. Yep. Um, so that kind of fits um, pretty well. You still do have a, a bit of a skill gap at times, particularly if you're talking about the best first grader versus maybe um, the cults player with less developed skills. Yep. Um, and so then that's really about picking your moments about um, when do we mix them up versus when do we keep them apart. And then so you might say, well, if we're doing a, a hard contact drill, we're going to keep the cults, like we're going to do it as a rotation and we're going to say the cults always work to get in their own group as part of that rotation. Yeah. So you don't get a situation where um, guys are getting their, their confidence knocked around because um they're running up against a, a player who's far more athletic with a higher skill level. Yeah, no, that's that's some good um, good insight there, mate. Um, you know, especially around, like you said, those Colts players can it can be a big skills gap just in that Colts team because you've got you know kids that have been playing since they were six, and then kids that are probably you know their first or second year. So. Um, and, but then you know some of the activities it's really good to have everybody integrated because you might have a really experienced first grader who can mentor yeah a less nice. skilled guy whether it's a second grader or a cops player to you know just give them some confidence bring them up you know make them feel like they can express themselves a bit more yeah no that that's a really good point mate that's because and a lot of those more talented players actually enjoy doing that as well because it gives them that um a bit of a bit of purpose around what's going as well, so they can they can help. Um, especially if they're good club people, they like to gives them that um, ownership of the next crop of players coming through. Absolutely, yeah, nice. Um, yeah, no, that's that's really good, mate. Um, so, how would so during that session where you've got. You know, you've got your skills blocks and you've got your your games and, and everything's flowing. Where does feedback fit into that session or what does that look like for you guys? Because there's, you know, everyone there's gives feedback differently everyone, and I know everyone likes getting feedback differently. Mm. Um, and, again, sometimes it's about the relationships we have with our players. But at what points in those, in that session do you go, oh, yeah, we're going to allocate this time for feedback or is it just an ad hoc thing or is it, you know, um, planned? And what does that, what would that look like? So, I mean, I think for, you know, the role I've been in, it's been a case of we've got 90 minutes um, twice a week, but in a lot of the cases it's 90 minutes once a week. Yep. Training. Yep. So it's very hard to dedicate a 10-minute, five-minute period of time to feedback. Yep. Um, you know, we might um, 
we might train we, we train monday wednesday or have been yeah. and so usually guys are pretty sore by a monday anyway mm-hmm. but particularly some of those first grade second grade cults guys will come down those nights and we might put a bit of analysis into a session and you know break up some video and go okay here's a couple of things from the weekend just gone that we need to work on and that gets rolled into either later on the, the monday or into the wednesday session um and here's a few things we're going to work on for this week's opponent. Um, beyond beyond that, you're really talking about that more ad hoc, on the fly type cues yeah. that you give as a coacher, and that some of the technical aspects. Um, just because you don't, you know, you don't have time to to get through everything you need to get through, yeah, uh, makes it be kind of pushes you to be very efficient as a coach and be very like. You have to have eyes on everything. So if there's something to pick up things you want to address on the way through, and it's it's sometimes a bit easier to make that feedback one-to-one rather than to the group in that sense where I can I can pull one person out and have a 30-second discussion rather than stopping the whole activity. Yeah. No, that's good. That's really good. Mate. And that's that sort of the stuff that I look at as well because, you know, um, I think the players get more out of it just by having those little one-on-one chats. I think it, it it relies on your coaches around you being effective as well because yeah. if you pull yourself out to have that one-to-one, you've got to have confidence that the activity still got to run properly and then, then if one of your other coaches sees something, they can they can do that as well. Yeah, and, and having that um, where you've got the luxury of having more than one coach, having having the the trust in those other coaches that are, are with you in that, you know, whether it's the, the open field game or the skills block, that they're going to have those conversations and just have that 10-second conversation with this player or that player mm. and just and just really nutting out, like, you know, in, in your plan, this is what we want to achieve in this, you know, four-minute block, five-minute block, um, and then... You can run. You can run the the block itself, and then you've got these other coaches just giving feedback to these to the players. Yeah, because they hate stopping. They hate stopping and start and then carrying on. You know, I, th- I think some of the greatest guidance I ever got was on. I think when I did the level two course, yeah, was um, if you're speaking for longer than a minute, it's too complicated. Yeah, yeah, and try to. Um, try to make it as, as succinct as possible while making sure they understand it. Yeah. Um, and so if, if you address the group, you know, after you address the group, then you might have short, short shorter chats with individuals, yeah. making sure they're across what you've, what you've said. Yeah. No, that, that's good, mate. And I, I never realized how important that was that, that first minute yeah. until I got into some rep programs down here and everything's run on, on the clock. Like you've got four minutes or five minutes to run a catch pass session. And you, if you take two minutes to explain it, well, that's it. You're done. You've got two minutes. It's like, Oh crap. So yeah, you really start working on that succinct instructions around, you know, you don't have to get right into the, into the reeds and the nuts and the bolts, as long as, as long as you're achieving what you need to achieve. Um, yeah, no, that's even. I think even with halftime um, talks with with players, like if there's too much, they just switch off. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think 
Um, I think really the goal is what's going well, what's not, and how do we fix it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, no. I think, again, you know, half times five minutes. My personal belief is that if you're talking for five minutes, they've stopped after 60 seconds. They're not listening after 60 seconds. Yeah. Or, um, or although they don't want to, it's just they can't retain yeah. that information. They've just been running for 40 minutes. Yeah. You just can't retain that. And the first the first two minutes, most of the most of the guys at community level are just trying to get their breath back and bring their heart rate down so they can actually do something. Um, and, and usually if it's something specific, you'll go to a key decision maker within the team anyway. Yeah. And, and that's much more effective. There's no point telling 15 guys that we need to kick the ball more. Yeah, there's no point telling my tight head prop that because he doesn't care. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, and some advice I was given by a coach as I, you know, and it was a few years ago now, he said, do you remember the last halftime talk that you are involved in as a player? And I went, I don't remember any of them, let alone the last one. And he's going, so why do you talk so much at halftime? And I went, yeah, yeah. It's a good question. I can't say I do either. You know, and, and when you reflect on that, you go, yeah. And then you start, you actually start looking at, I actually stood back a little bit and let other coaches do the halftime stuff. And you just watch, you know, you're like for the first two minutes, they're trying to get their breath back and they're just trying to, you know, do all that stuff. And then like I said, a minute after that, they're probably hydrating, getting some water into them. You know, so you've literally got a minute with them. Yeah. You know? And then if you split into forwards and backs, you've got, you know, probably two minutes there and a minute here. And so, again, it comes back to that feedback of short, sharp, what are we doing well, what do we need to change? Um, and even now, most most of my boys at down here, they talk more at halftime than I do. Well, they're the ones who they've got a feel for the game. I'm I'm standing on the sideline. Yeah. yeah. We're standing on the sideline. Yep. So you, yep. you can have experience as a player then coaching, but you're not out there, you're not feeling the flow of the game. Yeah. Yeah, you're not feeling if we're in it or are we really flat or you're not feeling those things. Yeah. And I think I always say to my boys when something's not working, like, can you boys fix this? And usually the answer, it was once this year that they went, we don't know, what do, what do you suggest? And But every other game they went, yeah, we've just got to, you know, kick more, do this more, clean out, win the bat, you know, like they know what they need to do, mm-hmm. you know, so so let them have that ownership of it. Um, and again, it comes, like you said, it comes better even coming from, you know, that leadership group of players rather than them listening to me. I think that's about the relationship you build with your players too, yeah. whether it's a um, kind of the older school kind of approach of top down or whether it's more you're working with mm. rather mm. than they're working for. Sort yeah. Of thing. yeah, yeah. Oh, man, I, I spoke to some coaches before that are, you know, my vintage and they went, yeah, the stuff that we have, the stuff we used to get coached and how we got coached would just you know, if you saw a coach doing it these days, you'd just walk over and you'd, you'd sack them, you know, because it was all that, we're going to do this and we're going to do that and then you're going to do this and just go, that doesn't work anymore, you yeah. know. Um, so, 
um, yeah, some good advice I got was, you know, the, the first bit of advice you should give a coach is don't coach the way you were coached. Yeah. Unless you were coached by a new modern coach. But, you know, most of us, uh, especially a lot of the, the young coaches I talk to, their dads, and they might not have played for 10 or 15 years. And you just go, man, the game's changed in the last three years, let alone in the last 15 since yeah. you haven't played. And the way you were coached just doesn't doesn't wash anymore. Um, so, yeah, um, like you said, those relationships with players is is uh, something that I think we don't work enough on at community level. Um, and there's a number of reasons for that too. Like you said, like guys are busy. Some of them get to train in at 20 past six for a 6.30 start just because they've got work and family and, you know, or they've got to go straight away after training's finished because, again, for whatever reason. So sometimes we miss those little opportunities to to grow those relationships with with our players that, that make our life easier. Well, yeah, and it's also part of the experience too. Yeah. Like, I think one of the one of the great things I've always found about uh, particularly that community-level sport is that, you know, I work I work full-time, yeah. uh, all, all the guys do, but and you can have all those stresses going on in your life, like I've got, you know, family and all those sorts of things going on, but then you go down to training and for two hours you forget. Yeah. And, it's yeah. Not, and that's, you know, that's such a great thing, but you can still have those um, those relationships with your players so they know that you care about them. And it's not, it's not in the context of I want you to pl- I want to make you feel loved so you play better. It's like I give a damn about you as a person. Yeah, yeah, and you're right. And like, like you said, we've all got jobs and, you know, we've all had bad days at work. And I think if you've got those relationships, it also gives you the opportunity when you've had a really crap week at work or the kids are sick, whatever, and you can go, boys, I'm giving you my best. I just don't feel it tonight because of this. And then, you know, that they then feel that, when it happens to them, they can go, yeah, sorry, Reese. look, I've just been on the tools for 14 hours and one of the kids is sick and I'm just just not up to it tonight. And yeah, mate, that's no problem at all, you know, and, and like you said, you've got that relationship and that trust hmm. um, with with players and it just makes it, makes life easier, I think, rather than, you know, back back when I was playing, it was if you weren't at training, you're not playing and there's no excuses and this, that, yeah, well, yeah. Unless, unless you're getting paid, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. So um, exactly right. It no, doesn't it doesn't work. No, and and I think too, like you said, like especially having those games and stuff at training. Like you said, some of the guys will be, you know, on tools all day or sitting at a desk all day or whatever, and they just want to get out and blow off some steam and have a run around and be competitive with people. Um, you know, even if it is just for two hours four hours a week you know that's their that might be their outlet from all the stuff they got going on um yeah that's that that's really good mate um what what do you do uh in regards so coach development so um i know we've got coach education like your level one level two three four all that type of stuff Mm. um which which again has its place um in in what we do um, but I think we can get more benefit from developing ourselves away from the classroom. Um, so is there anything that you do or you could recommend to coaches or you're thinking about doing around like developing yourself as, as a coach? Um, so I think for me again, you're that kind of time poor, 
time poor aspect um it's doing like for me i do as much um kind of research online as much as i can yep it's not and that's not just rugby based the the rugby based stuff would really be about the more technical aspects of aspects of the game yeah in terms of coach behavior and and approaches you know it's kind of looking everywhere and general leadership approaches too whether that might be um, you know, just because it's community level rugby doesn't mean you can't look at how a coach in a professional sport carries themselves. Yeah. You know, and look at the way they do things and, and try and take cues from that to, to this level because you're essentially dealing with the same generation of player that that coach is dealing with just at a lower level. Yeah. No, that, that's really good. And, you know, a, a friend of mine said – just because you're a you know a community coach doesn't mean you can't have uh, a professional attitude when you turn up. You know? Absolutely. So, and, yeah. and I think the players pick up on that. The more we try and develop ourselves as coaches, um, the players appreciate it as well. Well, they want yeah, and being you know that that kind of being prepared and being researched and you know yeah. you know taking things from different places and saying hey, why don't we look at having a go at this and, and and exploring things and trying things, um, you know, sort of particularly, you know, again, our, our club kind of has a range from the high grades to the lower grades. Yep. Um, you know, part of those guys in the high grades is they're, they're time poor. They want to get as much as they can out of it with the time they have. Yeah. You know, so that gives you more opportunity to be a bit more flexible in how you do things and bring in different ideas and, Yeah, no, that's that's a good point, mate. There's so much that we can, and like you said, just just watching other coaches and talking to other coaches, and um, a lot of our we call them vibe games or pump up games that we might do, like after warm up before we go into skills. They're all games we got from under eights, mm. you know, because um, who doesn't like to be competitive, you know, you know, you you. you you play the cone game. The boys love the cone game because it's a competition and somebody wins, you know, like it's just like I said, so, so basic, but you get all these ideas from other coaches. Yeah. Um, now that, yeah, that's good. mate. And yeah, I think too, what, what COVID actually highlighted was this is so much information out there around coaching and so many people are willing just to talk about coaching and, um, you know, I know when I was a young coach, I wouldn't talk to a, a more experienced coach thinking he'd think I was a dickhead. But, you know, when you talk to them, they go, yeah, mate, I've been where you are. I've done what you've done. And, you know, yeah. there's not there's not many coaches at that level that, you know, I haven't met many that aren't prepared to at least give you 10 minutes of their time. Yeah. I think I think that's, that's really, there's no such thing as like a silly question. No. Like if, if you're asking yourself it, somebody else has asked themselves it before yeah yeah and, and really the silly part is not putting yourself in the position to find out yeah just assuming yeah they're all they're all perfectly normal things to think about as we kind of go through that early learning trajectory mm. um you know you, you don't know everything yeah and what i often said is you actually um you don't know what you don't know mm. if it's like like there's stuff you know exists, but you don't know about it. But then yep. there's stuff that you don't even know exists. Yeah. Yeah. 
and and I find the the more that I learn, the more I don't know. Oh. You know, like you, you kick over that rock and then something else opens up and you oh, I didn't think about that or I didn't know that or yeah. you know, so yeah, you you're dead right, mate. The more the more you get into it, the more you're gonna learn. Uh cool. No, that's good, mate. Thank you. Um one last one last bit for you, mate. Um, what advice would you give yourself? going back to that first year of coaching, so when you're a new coach, what advice would you give yourself uh, knowing what you know now? Uh, oh, you still, yeah, I don't know what happened. I don't know whether it was your end or my end. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, so, oh, cool, it's still going. Yeah, so we were talking about um, the advice you'd give yourself, mate. Um, yeah, just so, yeah, it's really about delegation and, and um you know, being willing to ask for help when trying to get people in to give you a hand rather than feeling like you've got to you've got to do it all yourself or you want yep. to do it all yourself. Yep. Um and then once you've once you've delegated really just um being in that support role rather than feeling like you're kind of overseeing someone. Um yeah I think that's my, my kind of first learning. Um and then I think, yeah, it's, it really goes back to that, um, yeah, understanding how how sometimes how little control you have. Yeah, and I think that the sooner we learn that as coaches, and we learn to just let let things go and just let things happen, um, the easier and the more enjoyable the game becomes for us as coaches. Well, it also allows players to show you things. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, um, yeah, kind of to your, your previous question about, you know, coach development. I, even five years in with working with guys I've been working with for five years, I learned things from those guys. Yeah. Because, you know, part of part of being at that adult community level is it is a bit of a melting pot. Mm. You've got guys who've come down and have played at Premier Rugby, Shoot Shield kind of level. Um and so you, you, if you're a developing coach, you're crazy not to take their feedback on board. Yeah, oh, exactly right, mate. Um, yeah, and like you said, sometimes they just surprise you and, and they do things and you go, oh, didn't know you could do like that skill or, or whatever it is. And yeah, no, that's really good, mate. I think so, and and that can you know that could be going to you you kind of being adaptable as well. You know, like mm. we might have a training session, and um, a key line out jumper might not not might not be able to make it. Yep. And, and this isn't the type of club where you go and pull a player from the lower grade to yeah. fill your training. You don't you don't do yeah. that. You if a guy doesn't turn up, you you train with fourteen. Yeah. Um, and so kind of turning those into learning opportunities for the players, where you say, well, okay. We have this player not here. He's our key, one of our key line-out jumpers. Okay, let's go yellow card situation. Yeah. For the next 10 minutes, show me how you're going to put that together in a game. Yeah. Because I can like I can give instructions from the sideline, but you guys are the ones out there and you've got to you're gonna to have mm. to figure it out. Yeah. And so they'll go to the guys, well, okay, talk it through, but I'm gonna I'm gonna step back and observe you guys problem solve and then I'll give cues here and there. Yeah. No, that's I, that's great. I love that. And I often just pull guys out of a drill or out of a, you know, if we're doing a line-out session, I'll just pull a guy out and go, mate, just stand here and don't even tell them. 
just don't tell the other guys and, and see how they react. You know, like you might have a player injured, you know, or whatever, the, like you said, yellow card or whatever the situation is and see how they react first. Yeah, no, that's good, mate. That was thoroughly enjoyable, mate. I, I got a, a, some good bits of gold out of that. Um, so thank you so much for your time. Enjoyed it. It's been good fun. Yeah, mate. That's a mighty shot. A mighty man, Leicester, have driven those off their own ball. That is monstrous. Yeah. 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 Yeah